Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the third Monday of the month, which means it's time for Healing Spices with Dr. Sunil Pai. And today we are doing part five, coconut, coriander, cumin, and curry leaf. Can you believe it? We're only at letter C and there's 26 letters in the alphabet. Please welcome Dr. Pai. How you doing? Doing really well. Thank you for inviting me back. And thanks for everyone for joining us. We are on part five. And yes, we're only on the C's. So I'll show you how much spices there are to use. And let's get started today. So again, let me see here. Let me click here. What's happening? All right. So we're going to talk about, you know, some information from my book, An Inflammation Nation, which most of you have either already purchased. If not, that's the, the definitive 10-step guide on preventing, reversing, and treating all diseases through diet, lifestyle, and the use of natural anti-inflammatories such as Bosmeric, SR. And I'm going to be taking predominantly most of the information from this wonderful book from a colleague of mine, Dr. Agarwal, who used to be a, a famous scientist at MD Anderson looking at research in terms, in terms of cancer and chronic disease and all the different pathways and research. And he wrote this wonderful book on the side uh, uh, using spices from the healing aspect. So I'm just taking four spices every day from this book with his permission. And we're just going to teach you a little bit more about how to introduce the spice, a little bit of history about the spice, how to use the spice. And hopefully over time, we can make food more medicine. Remember, the key is eating a plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet. But really, we need to incorporate the use of herbs and spices. That's kind of lacking right now, What, in my opinion, when we look at overall the plant-based movement is we have the right amount of protein, carbohydrates, fats, and vitamins and minerals and rainbow colored foods, but we're really missing from a culinary perspective. And more importantly, from a health perspective is actually using the spices. So hopefully, you know, if you have, if this is the first time you're watching, we have four previous episodes. So, so go back and listen, and we have many more coming in the future. And then towards the end of these, uh, I will have in the future, we will have actually some demonstrations or even preparations of like some of the food spices, how to make blends and how to make even things easier. And then even how to, I will already uh, organize things in terms of diseases that we can kind of target, even though I mentioned them throughout this, these uh, series, I'll have it easier. So if someone has heart disease or someone has diabetes, I'll kind of then summarize it also from a disease condition. But in the beginning, I want to first just talk about the spices themselves to get you an overall education on them. So today we're going to start off with one of my favorites, which is coconut. A lot of people don't think of coconut as a spice, but actually it is. And it is the fat that burns calorie. Now, coconut has had the good background and also has some bad backgrounds as well. And so we're going to kind of clarify some of that today. So let's start off with the coconut. Well, the benefits is it has a lot of antibacterial properties, has a lot of antifungal properties, uh, even for topical use of skin, as most people notice that true and natural skincare will come a lot with coconut products or coconut oil, particularly. Uh, um, it has shown to have reduction in colon cancer, uh, colon diseases as well through its anti-inflammatory aspects and also some cognitive benefits, but not through what people think of like spooning, you know, a, a spoon of coconut oil. No, we're actually talking about the coconut water and some of the studies that were shown on animals. And interesting thing that I didn't know myself is that, and I just took this picture here because this is kind of how what people see as, you know, the, the, the real coconut. Now, most people just get the packaged, it's dried, it's already toasted, or it's already granulated or grated, for example. But when you actually have this coconut husk, in other countries like in Asia, which I didn't know until I was reading this book, is they actually take this husk and they actually make a tea from it. And that tea actually provides 
pain relief, almost as much as morphine. So it's quite interesting. I couldn't find it because obviously I'm not from a country that we can get the fresh coconut like that. But you might want to look at next time you're you know, in a foreign country or next time you're traveling abroad and you see some of these things, definitely if you have some back pain or headaches, see if they actually have some coconut fiber or coconut husk tea, because that is something that could be very um, beneficial without the side effects or risk of, say, a pain medication or a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Now, interesting thing is health benefits of coconut. So let's talk about the antibacterial and antifungal properties, because this is pretty important. You know, there is something, you know, I, coconut milk and coconut, uh, coconuts in general have what they call medium chain triglycerides, right? And it's called lauric acid. It's broken down into monolorn. And now you can see that on the, on the supplement market, there's a lot of companies now that will sell something called monolorn. I think sometimes now some of these things have been even patented uh, and you know trademarked and stuff like that. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, give you a concentrated form of the monolorn. And the concentrated form of the monolorn has more of those antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral properties. And so now the studies will show that it actually has been able to kill staph and strep and enterobacter, enterococcus. These are just different common bacterial infections. And even when we look at it from from a pure standpoint of using organic, you know, coconut or uh, coconut cream, for example, or coconut oil, but the edible kind, not the food kind, because there's differences in processing. So anytime you're putting a coconut oil product on your body, you want to be uh, getting the form that is edible. Right. So it's got to be safe enough to eat if you're putting on your skin. Right. Otherwise, there's sometimes chemicals in the process, even if it is a, a, a natural product for cooking. For example, we like to make it like make sure that's more what we call food grade. Now. They've been showing that also topical when you apply the coconut oil, and particularly it will help with killing the bacteria, which is some of these things that cause acne. Now, we always recommend, you know, for our patients, especially women who are menopausal or have any kind of vaginal dryness, and they're always looking at lubrication, you know, organic virgin coconut cream is even the best. That is something that is completely safe. It's non-toxic. It actually helps cool the skin, but it also helps prevent overgrowth of bacterial infections, vaginal uh, dysbiosis, and even candida infections. Unlike, you know, when people go to the store, they buy some kind of, you know, product like a KY or something that the gynecologist or something that the pharmacy stores will sell. Those things actually cause with all the chemicals and preservatives, more dryness and actually increase the risk of women actually getting more yeast-like infections. So that's something where you can use something naturally that will be beneficial from all standpoints without any kind of toxicity. Now, the antifungal aspects, again, with the, with the lauric acid is also uh, kills candida. So a great thing. And that's why a lot of people, when they have candida infections or we have dysbiosis of candida, say on a microbiome test that we do, it's not only just vaginally they have the yeast infection, they also have the overgrowth in the GI tract. And so taking these things now that they have them concentrated in, a, in supplement forms and stuff like that, that can also be beneficial. Helps colon health. So when people have SIBO, again, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, dysbiosis, candida, again, there's a lot of GI issues, but the interesting thing is it's, it's very safe. So when we use it as a food, there's kind of like a balance. It's not like an overdoing, but when we concentrate it in a supplement form, then I would only take it for a limited and short period of times under guidance of a healthcare provider because it can be very, very powerful. The data also shows, which is quite interesting, that it also has antiviral aspects uh, and antiviral properties. So when we look at herpes simplex virus, we look at Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, shingles, 
measles viruses, even flu viruses, the data shows that it's been very helpful. And now there's a kind of an emergent uh, studies on looking at the help in patients that have Lyme's disease, which is quite interesting that people, you know, because again, when people have chronic Lyme disease, they're, they're taking a barrage sometimes of, of IV antibiotics or very, or very, very strong medications. And this is something that can be added, you know, along with someone following their healthcare, a safe and effective uh, aspect of giving them some of this anti, you know, parasitic, anti-infective uh, benefits with, and uh, it also has been shown to help with some immune system functioning uh, benefits as well. Now I mentioned again here uh, in Brazil, they use uh, also other parts of the world, they use the tea made from the coconut husk. So if you're ever around and able to try that, definitely try that if you have some kind of chronic pain problem aside of taking like our anti-inflammatory bosmeric SR as well. But those are things that you can use. Now, interesting thing that there's a big misunderstanding with this concept of memory function. There's a lot of kind of myths that pervade the internet about, you know, a lady who gave her husband a teaspoon or a tablespoon of coconut oil every day. And, you know, his 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 memory dementia got better right there's that one study or what well, wasn't a study it was like a, a report on a, on an email or a blog and then it became like you know this this urban legend and then people were going to the store and buying tubs and tubs of you know coconut oil you know although it's a superfood on the on the label it is not a superfood just letting you know that's just a marketing strategy for anything that's plant based now every company is calling them superfoods remember it is you know coconut oil is medium chain triglycerides so it does help with burning energy fat that's why the whole craze with mct oil in the last 5 years kind of came into play right and kind of people adding a little bit more fat. The problem is it's, you know, coconut oil is about seven, it's 86% fat, but 76% saturated fat, right? So that will actually elevate your cholesterol and LDL. So you really have to be careful when you're using coconut products, not to be using too much. So we don't recommend anybody just, you know, spooning this out as a, as a, as a food. Uh, can we cook with it? Yes. Can we put it in a curry here and there? Absolutely. Um, but it's not a daily supplement that you need to use or use a lot of. In fact, for most of our patients, particularly those who have already gone plant-based, uh, some of the patients who have, you know, like gone plant-based or completely not eating any animal protein, you know, we should see their lipids go down significantly. But some of them, when they go down and all of a sudden after a period of time, they might go up again, is that I was, I always will ask them, are you taking any coconut uh, oil products? And some people are like, oh yeah, well, I noticed that, you know, there's maybe a coconut yogurt, maybe coconut milk, um, maybe coconut cream in their coffee. Um, also, a lot of times, some of the uh, meat substitutes, for example, like a Beyond Meat or any of those other kind of plant-based burgers, some of them will put coconut oil uh, in them to make that fattiness, right? So instead of putting animal protein, uh, animal fat, they put the, the, the plant fat, but it's still a saturated fat. So you have to be careful. So anytime you're looking at packaged foods, try to always look for the least amount of saturated fat from coconut oil. Um, doesn't mean you can't have any, but a lot of people, unfortunately, are eating a lot of these foods, right? Because they're transitioning over. And we always want to make sure that they're not getting too much where they're trying to have the right um, idea, but they're having the wrong outcome. The studies that actually were in the, done in the animals showing reduction in the Alzheimer's production in the animals was actually shown from the coconut water right? And they were showing that it might have some kind of estrogen-like characteristic. Now, it's not, it's not a phytoestrogen. It's not like a soy, which has preventative benefits, by the way, but it has that protective benefit. You know, it might also be that dude, the, coconut oil, uh, the coconut water itself actually has high amount of minerals, such as magnesium and, and other type of trace minerals, which are super important. And so one of the things that I always recommend is people drinking organic, you know, unfiltered, uh, you know, one of my favorite brands is Harmless Harvest because it's the purest kind that you can get out there. Or if you get it fresh, if you go to an Asian restaurant usually or, or you go to the grocery market, you can buy fresh coconut. You have to cut it with a you know, big, uh, big knife kind of thing, open it up and you drink it. That's what most of us drink around the world. And in fact, the water in coconut, uh, coconut water is almost uh, so much like uh, saline 
that in India and other countries, whenever there's a calamity, say a big tornado or typhoon or whatever, they actually cut the coconut, they actually filter it out, and they can actually use it in emergency situations uh, as a replacement for hydration fluid. So that's something how like similar it is. So I always prefer people to drink even coconut water versus some kind of uh, electrolytes um, drink or something like that. But again, try to get it where it's unfiltered, it's unpasteurized, because actually through the pasteurization process, we're also seeing that some of the nutrients are also lost. And so there's companies that will actually filter it out so it's clean, but they're not actually pasteurizing where we're losing some of the other health benefits. Now, examples of coconut, I really don't have to mention because everybody understands what coconuts are. But sometimes we, in America, we know it more for like coconut macaroons or, you know, chocolate candies with coconut, right? Because we see a lot of coconut here as a sweet. It's very sweet. But, you know, a lot of Asian foods, we use it like in rice, we use it in coconut curry. In India, we use like coconut chutneys and, and a lot of soups. And, and even now you can see a transition in America. A lot of people are having switched from dairy products correctly to like soy ice cream or now that they have coconut ice cream. But again, even though it's, it's plant-based, you have to still be careful as the ice cream will have a lot of sugar and still be a lot of saturated fat. So here and there as a treat, yes, but not as a daily or, you know, oh yeah, I'm eating this as a health food. But it's one thing that when we use coconut, as you'll know, or for those people who use a lot of coconut, is that while we use it in curries, is because it's a nice balancer to the palate. It's got that little bit of that fattiness as we all like and crave, but also has a coolingness of coconut. Coconut, it reduces the pitta, reduces the heating quality of the spiciness of food. So that's why a lot of Asian curries uh, will use, you know, they have chilies in there, but they add that coconut uh, a little bit of the coconut cream or the coconut milk to help kind of soothe or calm down or balance that, the, the taste as well. Now, coconut pairs well with allspice, asafoetida, which I mentioned before, basil, black pepper, uh, cacao or cocoa, cumin, which I'll mention today, and curry leaf. In the future, we'll cover galangal, garlic, ginger, lemongrass, sun-dried tomatoes, turmeric, which is one of my favorites, as you all will know, and also um, vanilla. Now, it complements the following. So again, any dish that has a heavy, now I put here vegan meats because there's a lot of cultures like in Asian foods where we use uh, vital wheat gluten, we use seitan, we use tofu, uh, and you know they're, they're now made into mock things, which goes back to the time of Genghis Khan and before. So it's not new, but we want textured things that have that kind of uh, um, uh, chewiness or that marinating uh, concept of, of holding in spices. And uh, the coconut really pairs well with those things. As most people know, chocolate, chutneys, Lentils go really well with coconut. Uh, potatoes always, like most people, will have some kind of uh, soup or, again, the curry that will always have potatoes and vegetables. So that is with coconut. The next spice, number 18, on the healing spices is going to be coriander, and it tames the tummy troubles. Now, coriander is very interesting. A lot of people misunderstand coriander. Coriander is the seeds part of the plant that has the, the, the herb, and the herb part of the plant is cilantro, right? So they're very similar, but they're different, right? And they're different ways that we use in cooking, right? So the cilantro is usually fresh. It's an herb, right? So most of us know like cilantro and Mexican food, predominantly Asian food that we use a lot, uh, Thai food and Indian food. But this the seed that we're talking about here, which is coriander seeds. And the coriander seeds, it's very interesting. It actually goes back. It dates back to the Neolithic period, 7000 BC. So these are really old spices. Um, it was even found in the, the tomb of Tutankhamun. Uh, it's even been written in the Bible in the Exodus, not the movie, but uh, the actual Bible itself. Um, 
And it's very important because we've been using it in Asia for centuries in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and just in cooking in general. It has a lot of GI benefits, right? Soothes IBS, irritable bowel, eases constipation and lowers and slows down intestinal spasms, bloating and gas, uh, lowers inflammation in the skin, helps with blood sugar, helps with cholesterol. So this is something that simple thing like coriander. Now, also just letting you know that there's two types of coriander usually people see is a European coriander and an Indian coriander. The Indian coriander is gonna be a little bit more uh, greenish in color. It's gonna be more of like an egg shape. Uh, it's gonna have, uh, it's gonna be a little bit smaller. And the European, which is kind of shown here, it's a little bit more rounded, it's more spherical. It's gonna be more tan. Uh, again, the European will have more of a, uh, a different fragrance, a little bit more of a fruitier fragrance. Um, and um, the Indian one will be a little bit different in the palette. And the, we use them both interchangeably depending on what store or where you buy your spices. Now, with the gut, it's really good for irritable bowel. So it's three times more improving abdominal pain, discomfort, gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation than placebo, right? So if someone has irritable bowel, what a great thing to start adding to their food. Um, coriander tea. A lot of people, you know, uh, you go to the store, they buy something called Smooth Move, or they have all these kind of move products. You see, well, coriander is one of the ingredients, right? So they're, they're making a tea at nighttime, and then it helps with, you know, moving the bowels naturally without having taking a laxative or something that causes a little bit more of a addiction quality. Um, ulcer prevention, it does reduce the formation of stomach ulcers. So it's a great thing. And so when people eat spicy foods or, we're, you know, or we're, we're getting exposed to other things, this is something very important to help pr protect our stomach lining. And it does have this anti-inflammatory effect. You know, the oil of the coriander, remember, you know, a lot of times we're talking about like the different powders and the oils and topicals and, you know, and then and like say the coconut, we're talking about there's water and then there's a meat and then there's even a husk of the plant uh, and, and the food. So there's different aspects and, and coriander, there's a, an, it has oils in there. And usually the coriander oil has been used topically for eczema, psoriasis, and even rosacea in the clinical studies. Um, it is 85% volatile oils, 26 are important, but the most two important, one of them is called geranol acetate. And the other one is linalool. And you'll look up linalool is a very, very important terpene. For those people who follow uh, hemp or cannabis, we're looking at, you know, like all the different cannabinoids, for example, in these plants. And then there's smaller particles in these cannabinoids called terpenes. Terpenes are the super powerful, you know, they're like the, the curcumin of the, of the ingredients, for example. And, the, and these um, terpenes are the ones that also kind of elicit some of the smell right? Like pine, pine, pinene and some of these things, like when we make pine oil and we sniff like a pine or something like fresh scent, uh, every plant has that. Linalool has been important because linalool has a lot of research on the health for depression and insomnia. And so when people use coriander, particularly like in Indian and Ayurvedic medicine, sometimes we make things like waters where we just put a little bit of the coriander seed and we'll talk about a little bit of the cumin as well. Sometimes you just put the, you know, after the seeds are roasted, which I'll talk about in a minute and you put it like, you know, maybe a half a teaspoon in a cup of water and just let it sit out overnight. And then you can drink it the next day. And this will help with insomnia. Right. So these are things that people are taking tons of uh, prescription medications for insomnia that actually block their REM sleep and cause cognitive dysfunctions over time. These are things that you, we can use it not only just as cooking, but we can also use it specifically for medicine. Now, one thing I need to remind people that when they buy 
oils or essential oils or something like that, you need to make sure that you're using a carrier oil. You never put a direct oil, concentrated oil on your skin, uh, especially if it's a pure form, because any kind of essential oil can burn your skin. So you always want to blend it or put, you know, the, the concentrated oil with a like a jojoba oil or something else as a carrier. So that's not super concentrated. Now, the benefit of coriander, and I'll show you even with cumin, heart health. LDL goes down, which is your bad cholesterol, and it also increases the good cholesterol, helps lower blood pressure in the studies. And same thing with diabetes. It lowers the uh, blood sugar in diabetics and also increases insulin secretion. So these are things that when we start seeing patients over and over again, and when you look at typical cooking in an Indian restaurant or a, a recipe, we will always use a little bit of you know, maybe I use a little bit of oil. So about a fourth of a teaspoon of oil, but we always will use a little bit of coriander. We always use a little cumin. You'll always see a little bit of turmeric, a little bit of garlic or ginger, for example, and onions. As I go through all these series, you'll understand that why we put that as a base mixture sometimes in certain recipes is because of it has all these gut issues. It'll help the gut. It'll help the reflux. It'll help the IBS, help the bloating, helps the heart disease, helps the diabetes. And for patients who are already plant-based, and they're having these problems, one of the things is that since they're not adding spices, they're still having issues, right? So I just had a patient, which I'll talk about in a minute, that I will be, you know, we were able to help just by providing some of these spices more into their diet. Now, examples of cori coriander, a lot of people will see it from soups, right? Like carrot ginger, which is a very common soup, you know, you know, Moroccan pumpkin and chickpea stew, which is one of my favorites, West African peanut stew. Now, I, I'm allergic to peanuts, so I actually put uh, seeds in there. I actually put like a sunflower seed in there. Uh, you know, a lot of people will see like coriander pilaf. So a lot of the rice pilaf, basmati rices, a lot of the rices that you'll get in a restaurant will have like coriander and we'll talk about curry leaf and other things. Those people who like, you know, pho, which is one of my favorite, like the soups, the Vietnamese soups, you can make vegan soup and uh, pho with that white bean tomatillos, and then also any doll that you see that, you know, red lentil doll or yellow doll usually will have a little bit of coriander in it. Coriander pairs with the following allspice, cardamom, clove, coconut, cumin, fennel seed, garlic, ginger, sun-dried tomatoes, and again, my favorite, turmeric. And then it complements uh, beans, cakes, fruits, especially apples. Uh, so if it, those people who like to use things with apples, coriander is great with that. Lentils, mushrooms, pastries, potatoes, spice mixes, and vegetables. So that is coriander. One thing I also want to make sure that people understand on coriander, let me just go back here is that when you get coriander and also when you get cumin, which I'm going to go into next, is that they come as, you know, let me just show you this here, cumin, they come in as seeds. And what you want to make sure with the seeds is that this, you always want to buy them in seed form. And then you want to grind them. Uh, when If you already buy it pre-ground, then it doesn't really last long, maybe two months, three months max for having the medicine benefits. Although people buy the, you know, the grounded you know, spice powders, try to get them in, in uh, glass jars, but it's nice if you actually keep them in the uh, whole seed form or the whole form. And then what you need to do is you need to dry roast it. Dry roasting means that what happens is that you, you get a, you get a pan. Uh, most of the time you can get like an, a, a cast iron pan. You, you put it on medium, you get these seeds, you put them on just for a few minutes and you just dry roast it. You're not putting any oil. You're just using your, you know, wooden spatula and you just kind of rotate the, the seeds in the pan and you want to get it so that the moisture kind of burns off and they get lightly toasted, lightly brown. You don't want to start smoking, then you're burning it. Then you're kind of destroying the health benefits. But then when you do that, you got to then take it off after about a, a few minutes and let it cool. And then you grind it. So you want to wait till the seeds are always 
always cool before you grind. But when you grind it, then you can put it in your pack and you can then use it for several months. Okay, so now we're going to talk about cumin. Cumin is great because it's keeping diabetes under control. And again, we always want people to, to understand that, you know, dry roasting uh, some of these seeds are even better. Also, when you dry roast, it's similar to like what we do with coffee beans, right? What we're doing is that we're using some temperature, not too much, and we're actually kind of taking out some of the moisture and increasing some of the volatility and concentrating those um, important phytonutrients, phytochemicals, medicinal parts of the spice, and also makes the spices taste better. Now, cumin is great for the digestion, okay? So it also helps lower cholesterol, blood sugars, lowers age glycation end products. This is a, a complication of pro-inflammatory triggers that occur from diabetes uh, that we start seeing with, you know, with problems in the brain and problems in the vascular health. It also has a bone density support issue, which is quite interesting. That's something that I learned when I read this book was preventing osteoporosis, lowers cancer risk lowers seizures. So for, the, so for those who have epilepsy, this is definitely something that they should start incorporating into their diet, lowers some food poisoning risk due to the antimicrobial properties. It also boosts some antibiotics like rifampin that is given for uh, tuberculosis, and also it can improve insomnia. Now, the benefits, as, as I was talking about with insomnia, is sleep support. An interesting thing is that actually cumin contains a little bit of melatonin. So it helps people sleep. So the other product I mentioned before, which is coriander, has a linalool, right? And the linalool has this benefit for sleep. And the coriander has a little bit of melatonin. So sometimes, like we know, this, we, we call it jira water. Again, we just put a little bit, you know, a fourth of a teaspoon and a cup of water. You can keep it overnight and then drink it the next day, um, you know, strain the seeds. And that's something that the next day you can drink it right before you go to bed. And that will help with not only digestion, because a lot of people can have digestive issues, but also helps with sleep. Now, seizures, for those people who have um, seizures or epilepsy, it showed to actually decrease and suppress the convulsions. So there's actually an anti-seizure effect. Uh, again, not getting people to stop their medications, but a lot of people are not under very well control with medications. And this is something that can be safely added to that. It does protect bones. And this is something that I learned uh, more recently is that it helped actually in the studies it has an osteoprotective of benefit. So it actually helps stop the bone loss. So very interesting. They were following... Um, Patients, you know, those with a little bit of osteoporosis, osteopenia, and then adding, you know, cumin into the diet. And for those who actually take it, it actually had a preventative benefit where it prevented the further loss and progression of their osteoporosis. Um, it helps with colon cancer, reduces the risk of cervical cancer, lowers, lowers the incidence of stomach and liver cancers, right? So these are things that we just want to prevent by just actually eating the food. And more importantly, again, diabetes support, lowers the sugar, hemoglobin A1C, lowers inflammation in the pancreas. And actually they did a study comparing it to an old drug that used to be on the market, uh, glomendulamide, um, and actually did better. Now, that drug is kind of taken off the market because it had some kidney problems in patients that had renal problems as they got older, but it was this very common like a metformin type of product on the market. People used to give it a super cheap, but this did better than that, you know, just taking it daily. Um, it does, again, lower the uh, AGEs, which I was talking about. These are the pro-inflammatory triggers that, are, that are, are, are the complications of diabetes, along with cinnamon, which I mentioned before, black pepper, and uh, in the future, I might talk a little bit about green tea, 40 to 90%. So these are very, very, very strong antioxidants, very, very, very strong anti-inflammatories indirectly. So these are the compounds that we can take. So again, lowers cholesterol and triglycerides. So I just had a client the other day 
just letting you know, who came in from, actually had four people in the last month, okay? But this is classic. They will go to a retreat center, right? Two of them went to uh, a plant-based retreat center, which uh, Dr. Furman's is one of them. And one of them went to, two of them went to Hippocrates, right? So all plant-based, we all love it. We all love it. We all love the idea of going someplace and getting um, educated, and feeling that you have support and commitment and, you know, kind of I'm, I'm there for a while. But the interesting thing is that when people still have high cholesterol, and even though they're completely plant-based, if they have still high cholesterol, that means, you know, after a while, if it's not dropping significantly or they're stuck, so say they drop, which these people did, their numbers dropped significantly, but it was still elevated, right? It's not in the target zone. So they dropped maybe 30 points, 40 points, which is fantastic, but they're not in the normal range yet. Then that means their body's either producing too much cholesterol or they're, you know, that's some genetic issues, or they might be absorbing extra things. There's certain people who are super absorbers, super producers. These are kind of extraneous things, but that's the people that we will see. And so the idea is that when they eat plant-based that we still, so although they're not getting cholesterol from the animal protein, we still need to give them something that helps lower their blood sugar if it's elevated or lower their cholesterol, triglycerides or LDL and boost their HDL if need be. And that's why we have to introduce spices. I know I get criticized a lot saying, hey, I think plant-based foods have been boring because most people are not just eating plain food, which is what we're selling in America. We need to be selling the culinary aspect of adding spices, adding flavor back into the food. And the more that we do that, the more we're actually going to be able to transition the population because they're going to feel comfortable with eating the food that has better flavor. So just making sure that you actually do those things, you still have to test for those things. And I'll talk about that probably in the Q&A as well. So cumin, you know, we use cumin a lot, uh, particularly Mexican food and Indian food, you know, so I'll say like, you know, our Pollock or quinoa salad or black beans. And, you know, like when we use, um, uh, when we make uh, guacamole, you know, one of the secret ingredients that most people won't know unless you're in a Mexican restaurant or if you're coming from the culture that uses it, is that we put cumin in our, in our guac, right? So a lot of people understand the salt, they understand the, you know, all the other herbs, the spot, you know, the onions and the tomatoes and the cilantro, but they forget that they, we put a little bit of cumin. That's the, the kind of the game changer in the guacamole. But, you know, tacos and pasoles and a, a lot of the vegan Indian foods and also the Mexican food, cumin is our, our, one of our go-to. And again, in almost every dish that we make, again, coriander, cumin, a little turmeric, a little ginger, a little bit of garlic sometimes. These are the things that we use consistently throughout most of the, the dishes, adding you know extra things to change the flavors, adding different vegetables or other types of sauces to make it different. But the idea is that we're providing these multiple health benefits all the time. Cumin pairs with a lot of things, adjuin, allspice, basil, black pepper, caraway, chili, cinnamon, and cocoa, which I've mentioned in the previous uh, uh, part series, part one, two, three, and four. Coriander, fennel seeds, which I'll be talking next, fenugreek, ginger, and mustard, onion, oregano, pumpkin seeds, saffron, tamarind, and turmeric. And it, and it complements with black beans. Again, here, a lot of, again, Mexican food or Latin food or, or you know, South American food, chilies, curries, Mexican food, potatoes, Tex-Mex, tomatoes. It's a great thing. If you don't use cumin, definitely go buy some cumin. Uh, you can start off with the powder, but definitely buy, again, the seeds, grind it, and then keep it. Uh, that's something that you will definitely enjoy. And last today, we're going to talk about is curry leaf, the mother's nature branch of medicine. Um, curry leaf comes two ways. Um, now, it's super high in antioxidants. Again, lowers blood sugar, lowers cholesterol. So there's three things today I talked about that will lower your heart disease risk, right? Now, again, on the coconut, you want to be less of it, but it doesn't mean you can never have it, but you want to eat less of that, right? It's not a superfood. But these other three things, coriander, uh, cumin, and curry leaf, all lowering cholesterol 
and blood sugar. So if someone's diabetic or has heart disease, adding this more into their regimen uh, throughout their, their week with their food will help augment and improve their levels. Now, it has been shown to improve memory and also has some anti-cancer benefits. It comes two ways, you know, uh, curry leaf, you know, if you're, most people will get it like this. It's kind of like bay leaf. It comes dried in a package. You'll see it at the store or in a little jar and they have a couple of these curry leaves in there. So that's kind of how most people get it. But if you're lucky, if you live in a big city or if there's an Asian market, you definitely want to go in and try to buy the fresh. It is fantastic. You usually have them in these little like little plastic baggies and I'll say curry leaf is usually in the refrigerated section. A lot of times you might have to ask if you're in an Asian store because sometimes it's not like if you don't know where to look, you won't know where to find it. But it's really delicious because it has a different fragrance. It has a completely uh, a different character. And I use both the dried and the fresh. But the fr when, when you buy the fresh, what you can do is uh, it freezes very well. So you keep it on the stem and you freeze it and it'll, it'll stay good for about three months. Um, and then you can just, you know, just pluck it off. Now, when you have it in the freezer over time, these wonderful green leaves might turn a little bit of darkness. They turn a little bit uh, of a black color and that's okay. It's not losing any of its efficacy and you just need to just chop it a little bit more prior to cooking it and it'll help express those, uh, phytochemical nutrients. And then for those who can't get it fresh, then definitely you can get it dried. Now, curry leaf is super high in antioxidants. Um, it is high in what they call carbazole alkaloids. And this ingredient is only found in curry leaf. So that's why some of these you know, herbs that I mentioned before um, are like the thymoquinone that was in black cumin, which is different than regular cumin. That's the only you know, spice in the world, only plant that had the thymoquinone. So these are certain things that each of these plants are unique sometimes. Some of them have, you know, broad class benefits, but this, some of them are very specific. And this is why we want to add, you know, more nutrients, just like we're trying to get the rainbow phytonutrients from our diet from different color fruits and vegetables, grains, seeds, and nuts and legumes, for example. Now we're trying to get it from the spices. It's very high in beta carotene and vitamin C. So again, you know, when we look at other countries where we don't have a lot of oranges, not the rest of the world, you know, the rest of the world doesn't have like oranges like we do here in America. We have wonderful Florida oranges, California oranges. We can go to the store and get oranges all the time. A lot of places, they don't have a lot of citrus, but they still get their vitamin C from spices. And as I mentioned before, some of the previous ones also have high vitamin C and beta carotene. Cancer prevention on lowering the, the rate and the growth of can colon cancer in the animal models. Um, it has been shown also that that little bit alkaloid, this carbazole alkaloid has been shown to be uh, helpful in weight loss or weight management. So, um, you know, again, in some of these studies are concentrating it. So I'm not going to recommend people taking a curry leaf supplement at the point. Um, but there's things that we start adding these things, you know, as a total you know, everybody wants a one-to-one -one relationship. I just want to take one of one thing. But when you start adding these spices, there's a synergy, right? So like, so if this is lowering someone's blood sugar by 45%, lowering their cholesterol, triglycerides, and raising their good cholesterol. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to lower total cholesterol, right? Like you saw here. But there's very little things naturally that actually raise good cholesterol. And a lot of people are like, I want to bump my good cholesterol off to help, you know, offset, have a little bit more cardioprotective benefit. Well, 30% increase in the HDL. So lowering diabetes, uh, blood sugar support also will assist in those people with lowering overall weight. Even if their A1C, your overall three-month blood sugar average is normal, lowering that blood sugar uh, will still assist with, with uh, weight management. An interesting thing is there's memory support. So in the animal model, what they show is that it's be, it starts to boost cholinergic activity. This is kind of like how our neurons are being um, signaled. 
and it improves memory function. So again, very important to add these spices so that we can help prevent some of these neurological dementia problems as we get older. And the examples that everybody knows is like anytime you go to a restaurant and they have like basamati rice or lemon rice or any kind of pilaf, you'll start seeing that, you know, there's curry leaves in there. Uh, any, again, these are some of the Indian dishes, but like a upma or a sambar, uh, eggplant, a sweet potato curry, you know, cauliflower spinach, like a pollock, or, you know, a, it goes very well with mustard seeds. So you'll see a lot of Asian foods with curry leaf, but, you know, people should get used to um, buying both the uh, dried is very easy, but try to get the fresh. If you've never gone to an Asian store, please try to do that. You'll start enjoying this uh, little journey of how you use these different spices. Curry leaf pairs with allspice, chili, cinnamon, clove, coriander, cumin, fennel seed, fenugreek, garlic, ginger, mustard, onion, sun-dried tomatoes, tamarind, and turmeric. And again, it, it works well. It complements beans, cabbages, chutneys, curries, eggplants, lentils, okra, rice, and soups. So that's it for today. We thank you for listening for part five of the Healing Spices series. Today, we covered coconut, coriander, cumin, and curry leaf. And uh, if you're interested in contacting me for a consultation, just go to sangevni.net. Or if you're interested in buying any of our evidence-based products, go to sangevnistore.com. Or you can get my book, An Inflammation Nation, uh, on an inflammationnation.com as well. And we can send you a signed copy. Wow, cool. Thank you. Got a few questions for you that were sent in in advance. Sure. Let me get them up. So, you know, I mean, a lot of the doctors won't recommend any coconut oil ever. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, so here's the thing. Like, this is from the clinical experience. When people extra, uh, take out all oil from the diet, Right. And even I'll give you an example. There was a wonderful uh, physician that was on a panel that I was on last week, um, Dr. Joel Kahn. And he's a cardiologist. Right. And, you know, he's like, oh, when I'm going like kind of on the low oil aspect is on those patients that have really extreme cardiovascular problems. Right. Or they actually have other problems where their body's producing too much. So they're just trying to lower the number or they've already had problems. But what we also see is that on plant based patients, when they get extremely low in the oil, they get very vaunted out. They get very dry. They have cognitive dysfunctions. They have skin dryness functions. There's, a, there's an aspect where we know we still need seeds, nuts, and avocados, and this and that. So we still need to have some plant oil. Now, the problem is there's the opposite group where people will go, oh, I buy a tub of coconut oil, and they're thinking that's healthy, right? Or putting oil in my coffee, and these are like the trendy things that then swings the pendulum the wrong way. No, you don't need to have like, you know, so many grams of saturated fat in your coffee in the morning. So there's a problem with that. But restricting this, like you know, most people in other countries are not consuming it like in candies or like in, in the heavy creams that we would give here. And we have to look at the other aspects of using the coconut effectively. So when we have patients that have um, uh, candida or infections, instead of taking an antibiotic, for example, can we give them like a monolaurin type of product? Yes, we can. It's still derived from coconut. Do they take it long term? No. Why? Because it's still a saturated fat. Right. So we still have to measure like, OK, it's 15 percent saturated fat in a serving. Right. So they shouldn't be taking this plus eating coconut during the treatment. But it is something that's natural, that's effective, that we could be using effectively. So, you know, other people can disagree, but we follow the data. So one of the things I would, would mention, as I mentioned, when people come in with these plant based programs and they're not feeling well, we have to look at well, why they're not feeling well if they're eating the perfect diet. 
And what we do differently than most people, and 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 even I think Dr. Furman was saying I was I was maybe playing uh, nutrition gymnastics, and I'm like, well, either get on the mat or you get off get off the floor, right? Like you have to either if you're going to go to the Olympics, you go all the way. You have to look at then why are people not converting? Are they enzyme deficient? What are the other nutrients that affect and, and work with metabolism? So it's not just saying, hey, eat more plant foods, everything is great. You should be eating plant-based. I'm, I'm never arguing about that. But we have to look at then your microbiome. Do you have any kind of dysbiosis? Do you have any leaky gut? Do you have any intestinal permeability issues? Do you have any overgrowth? Are you not absorbing well, right? Or do you have any nutrient deficiencies? Just because if you and I, Chef, AJ, if we ate the same food every day and we all went to the same retreat and we all took even the same supplements and the same smoothies and the same, our nutrition will be completely different. So the, the key is like it's old medicine, in my opinion, when people just say eat something and you should feel better. It's like, well, we test it. We test your cholesterol. We test, we test your blood pressure. You test your blood sugar to see whether, whether it's working. And most of those things will get better. But when they don't, then we have to see what's the individual differences in the patient that is kind of limiting their rate for success. And that's what we do very successfully is then finding that nuance of understanding that there's individualism, there's food sensitivities. One of these patients that went to these programs actually had three IgE immediate reactions and delayed reactions to the food that they're eating like two or three times a day in the program. So of course it was causing inflammation as a food sensitivity. Once they changed that out though, However, now they're feeling fantastic. They're still on the plant-based diet. Now they're able to lower their weight, their, their blood pressure, their blood sugar is going down. All these things are getting better because we have to understand that everybody's individual. And now we have to look at shifting the, the clients to healthy diets, healthy lifestyles. But you have to look at the epigenetics, diet, lifestyle, environment, belief system. You just can't say it's just diet, 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 diet only. If it is, it's great. 85% of things will get better. But when the 15% doesn't, you have to look at all these other epigenetic factors. And that's the part that we will work on as well. Okay, thank you. How do you feel about like supplementing with DHA? Um, I don't in general. Um, you know, if a patient has low hormones and there's a need for that, then and they are sensitive or they won't take a bioidentical hormone or they don't need enough or, to have that, then they could take a DHEA supplement that will convert into. Are you saying DHA or DHEA? Which one are you? Did you ask? I'm not talking about DHA. Okay, so DHA. So we test for that. Right. So I know there's some people who sell it. I, I actually uh, helped one of the largest companies you know, it was eight years ago create a, 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 a plant based line, which is the largest one in Canada right now. I know that Furman has his own uh, DHA and all. But what you have to understand is that not everybody's going to have the enzyme that will actually convert. Right. And then there's nutrients that affect your ALA, which is your omega three in your diet, flax, chia, hemp, walnuts, um, chia seeds, flax seeds. Right which people should be eating either way, whether they have the enzyme or not, because they're still getting protein and fiber and phytonutrients. But if they don't have the enzyme to convert, then would a DHA supplement be beneficial? Absolutely. But most of my patients, they will have the enzyme that converts. So then we want them still to eat more, but it's not just the enzyme. It's also B vitamins. It's magnesium. It's zinc. It's B1, B2, B3. There's other cofactors that affect that enzyme in its metabolic function. So it's not gymnastics. It's just understanding the physiology and science. But when people just get outdated with their practice, then they're not understanding, well, this is why the patients have limits. I get the idea. We need to push everybody eating correctly and also supplement when they need to. But then if someone can do it from their diet, why am I pushing a supplement? I want to push a supplement when it's you know, going to a pathway or getting something, you know, supplements supplement the diet, but they don't replace the diet. So our goal is always to look at, well, if there's someone's deficient, if they convert, they can eat it better. They can eat more. And if they don't convert, they still, watch, they still should get it for the protein and the fiber. But then we, we test that because otherwise people are buying a supplement. If their body can convert, then it's just a waste. I'd rather them 
use money for a supplement for something that they need it for, which is a deficiency. So if something comes low, B2 or zinc or magnesium, or they have an inflammatory problem, then take bosmeric or something like that, right? Or make sure your vitamin D levels, so there's better ways to spend the money, but you want to get targeted with your recommendations in addition to eating a whole food plant-based diet. Great. Thank you. There's a question from a live viewer named Kathy wondering if coconut oil, if the saturated fat absorbs into the body through the skin. I've not seen that happen with, 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 with skin products. So I would say no. Great. Here's a question that was sent in by Gunther. He wanted to know what spices do you recommend for green smoothies? I don't think I actually put spices in a green smoothie. So but I don't know what kind of green smoothie they're making or what they're mixing it with. So that's right. Well, sometimes people, you know, put ginger and turmeric and things like that. In. Oh yeah. You can easily put ginger and turmeric in that. Uh, you know, I'm not a big smoothie. Like I make, I make smoothies like from fruit and other things like that. I use the spices for my cooking. Um, but yeah, you can put turmeric, you can put cinnamon, you can put, you know, a lot of the things that I mentioned before in the previous, you know, cacao, uh, in there as well. Um, but then you, it's all about sourcing amounts, right. And, and flavor profiles. Um, I don't think there's any harm in putting spices in, in a smoothie, whatever feels the taste, but it's easier when we cook it. Some of the aspects also with cooking, just letting you know, is the heat, as I mentioned before, actually helps extract those compounds at a higher clinical aspect. That's why we put it in a pan and we heat it just for 30 seconds or so when, before we put the vegetables or, you know, so if you go to any Asian restaurant, for example, for millennia, we get the pan again, tiny, little bit of oil, not too much, right? Just a little bit. Cause we need to put all the herbs there and spices. We just saute it for 30 seconds and then we throw all the vegetables or other grains. And all. that's how usually people pre prepare and activate the spices for their, not only the flavors, but for the healing as well. Right. But there's no way to activate them without oil if people choose. Well, to I mean, you it. can use it as a benefit of, of getting, you know, I'm trying to make food medicine. You can always eat more. Right. But, you know, we also did invent fire. I always mention that to people like everybody wants to fight and eat raw all the time. I'm like, you can eat raw all the time. I have people who eat raw all the time. And then when we test them on the nutrient le levels, they're low. And they're like, well, why I'm 100 percent eating raw. I'm like, just because you eat 100 percent raw doesn't mean that you're absorbing 100 percent raw. Again, that's where testing is important, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I did sprout juicing, right? Like they go to the other retreat. I'm sprouting, sprouting. Okay, great. That's one nutrient. That's, you know, that's a set of nutrients. Like what about all these other phytonutrients that you're not getting in that? So the, we, get, we get stuck on like jumping on one thing. Like, oh, I want to just juice one thing, sprouts all day. And that's going to be a superfood. Or here's my wheatgrass or whatever the thing is of that idea. It's like, no, we're supposed to be eating rainbow colored foods. And we're supposed to be eating foods. We're not just made to just, you know, blend things or try to like squeeze everything out of one, a one food. That's, that's a, that's a mono. That's almost like a pharmaceutical approach to food, which, which American has, America has kind of embraced. And even the, the natural product stores have embraced, right? They say like, take the coconut oil or take the, the one green powder. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but it's simple because we're just trying to eat better and more whole food and a variety of foods and a variety of color. And now through this program, we're trying to do, talk about how do we add spices? So that's not just fiber, phytonutrients and you know, antioxidants and, and anti-inflammatory protein. We're looking at, well, what else now can lower cholesterol or blood sugar or what can help my IBS or improve my memory or my menstrual cramps or whatever? Where'd you go? I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I know for a minute, I didn't hear you. Perfect. So Elizabeth says, what is the name of the coconut drink that you recommended? Um, there's a brand. It's a little, it's called Harmless Harvest. Uh, it's just a brand that people can get at the health store. It is a little bit more pricey. It's organic. 
uh, and they they use a high filter process so they don't pasteurize it. Now, a lot of people go, you can go to tons of stores and there's tons of brands that have coconut water. But if you ever eat a fresh coconut or if you've gone to an Asian restaurant or if you travel to a country that's had fresh coconut water and then you try the, the harmless harvest to me, like you just can't go back. Is it worth the extra cost? That it's, it's a little bit more expensive. You always be like, I can go to Costco and get this other coconut water brand at any store or whatever. It's fine. Not that those are harmful in any way, by the way. It's just that now I'm trying to like make more food medicine, right? So it's like, I never try to cheapen my food. I always want to get higher quality food. I always try to get organic when possible. And I'm just kind of someone who's like a, a foodie. I want the flavors. I want my coconut water to taste like it when I cut it. That's and I put a straw in it. Like if you're in the street of India or any other country that does, you know, fresh coconut water, that's how it should taste. When you are not accustomed to that, then you may not know what you're missing. And so that's okay. Like I can go to the store and just buy something. That's a nice refreshment. It's better than any kind of soda, better than any kind of electrolyte drink. But then you become like a little bit of a food snob. Like I want it to taste refreshing. I want it to taste just like it's supposed to. And there is a little bit of a lack of activity. Again, regular coconut water is never a problem. It's just now we're looking at like nutrient density. Are we losing some of that in the pasteurization process? And we can be still healthier than anything else that you get from out of a can or a box than that, that is like, you know, a soda or an iced tea or something like that. So I definitely recommend coconut water for many people for just general hydration purposes. Great. Thank you. Oh, I didn't show you my shirt. <laughs> Not bad for me. I love it. You know? okay. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I, I mean, I think what I want to get across to the, the audience is that, you know, when people listen to these programs, I get it, right? Like, and we all want to go to a retreat. I get it. But then we have to understand the, the subtle nuance of like when someone hits a wall and they, and they get really frustrated, particularly when they're weight loss or they have a problem with the blood sugar or the, the class, and they already are plant-based. They're not eating any animal protein. Maybe they're not eating any oil. So it's like, there's nothing sneaking in and they still have a problem. Then this is when we have to start adding spices or more importantly, look at the nuances of why their body is acting differently and not just kind of saying, well, just go out and eat more, you know, plant-based. They get really stressed, and then that's when the compliance will you know, drop, and then they go back to their old way. So our goal is really to try to find that uniqueness, like what might be the little hiccup? What's the speed bump that they're hitting all the time? And then just adjust that course of action, and boom, they're on the freeway again. They're smooth sailing. Great. Thank you. And Elizabeth said that she has a black human pod, black human in pods. What's the best way to use it for its benefits? So black human is different than the cumin that I talked about today. Oh. Um, so that, that was on a previous episode. That thing is, that's episode number two. If they want to go back and listen to that, I will, I, I cover all the benefits, but that has something called thymoquinone. You want to actually, oh, you know, actually have the black cumin seeds directly. Um, you can grind them. Some people use them uh, fresh as it is, has a completely different flavor profile. So it's not brown cumin that we saw today. It's not what we put in our Mexican food or, uh, you know, like a guacamole, as I mentioned before, it's very, very strong. It's a very, very oily product. It has thymoquinone. Thymoquinone is very strong, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, anti-allergy, anti-histamine uh, kind of ingredient. Uh, that's why you'll see at the store, they sell black cumin oil, but now we don't need to even drink the oil. They have concentrates now that we can take it without the oily part of it. It's, it's really pungent and it can be a little bit spicier. Cumin seeds right now is not spicy. So when we use it in Mexican food or we use it in Indian food, it's for the flavor, but it's not as spicy. It doesn't have that heat index. But the but the black cumin, since it's a little bit more pungent, it's not still spicy, but some people can find it just off-putting on the palate a little bit. Mm, thank you. Uh, Sunny would like to know if it's safe to consume spices if you have GERD. 
Yes. And in fact, if you listen to all four of the previous episodes, which is important because almost on all the episodes, almost half of those spices are actually lowering the GERD. So a lot of people think, again, spicy or spices are spicy, like, you know, like a chili, it might be hot. So I can't eat spicy foods because I have GERD. But you have to look at all these other things that actually will help GERD. And yes, you should start incorporating spices. Go back, listen to all the episodes. And in fact, get the Healing Spices book. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great thing to start off with because you can then go through and say, like, let me just add one of these things at a time. And you'll notice that the digestion improves. Again, the problem is a lack in the standard plant-based American diet right now is that we've not had the spices. So then we, even when we eat plant foods, we can still have a physiological problem. You can still have GERD, right? Physiologically. So how do we help lower that and improve that physical function of the digestion and the esophagus and the stomach is by adding the spices that will help. And yes, in the previous episodes, I did talk about those. Nice. Thanks. Great question, by the way. And, and good, good to go back. And you know, what happens as we go on, we're going to go back and, you know, we'll, we'll come back towards the end of the series and say, this is for GERD. Yeah, all the spices. This is for heart disease, all the spices. In the beginning, again, I'm just trying to teach just what, what the spice is and a little bit about it. And then later on, we'll get to like, these are my problems, then we can kind of pair it. And then also when we do spice blends later on, then it'll be like, hey, I can just add this Italian spice blend. I can add this Indian spice blend. I can add this Mexican spice blend. It makes it easier for you, but also then you're encompassing like three or four or five things really simply lowering a lot of different benefits, having a lot of benefits with the body and lowering a lot of bad things that are meant to be elevated or imbalanced. Great. Thanks. And somebody's asking, what are the best spices to help heal or deal with fatty liver and or liver inflammation? I talked about that on the previous, the previous episodes and going forward. Now, all of these things will help with, with liver, fatty liver, but there was two in particular that I mentioned. So I'm going to have them go back and listen. I want people to go back and listen, right? Because then, then it's not just like, oh, I just Do you remember which episode it was? I think it's episode three. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And uh, Jennifer's saying that Harmless Harvest is sold at some of the Costco's. Oh, even better. Yay. Yeah, so. <laughs> Cheaper. <laughs> Maybe I have to go now and buy some. You know, <laughs> again, not trying, not trying to meet my, always how people buy the most. But it's like one of those things. Like, I, I always like to spend money where it's worth it. And it's worth it on your health. So a lot of people go out and they'll buy like an expensive wine or expensive this, or they go to concert tickets or movie theaters or whatever. Everybody has their thing to spend on. I just have a tendency to say, well, you know, if it's, if it's like 50 cents more or a dollar more, it's worth it for me, right? I enjoy it. It's something that's giving me more health benefits. But again, I don't want to feel like, you know, just because cost may be an issue with a lot of us these days that, you know, it don't, I can't find that brand, so I won't buy it. You still get a benefit. But what you have to be careful of, though, with all coconut oil, uh, coconut water products, though, I want to mention that this really importantly, is that some of the coconut water products actually have sugar in them. So you just got to just got to just say coconut water. If it says coconut water, high fructose corn syrup, or some kind of sugar derivative, or some kind of zero calorie sugar sweetener, or whatever, be careful of that. And that's where, like, because some of these companies now are owned by the large soda companies, right? It's for distribution. So sometimes there'll be different brands and then there'll be different types and flavors and stuff like that. You have to be careful that sometimes there might, you know, they'll put it on the label. So it shouldn't just be like there's added sugar to it. Great. Um, this isn't exactly about a spice, but maybe you can answer it because we almost talked about DHEA when I actually said DHA. Uh, Jennifer says she's currently using hormone cream, but was told to add DHEA supplements. Hormones are on the lower end of normal. What are your thoughts about using both? So you can use both, but you have to be tested. Every time you use anything that's above 50 milligrams of DHEA, DHEA then you should be tested. 
because you know the, the the challenge is this that it will usually help in certain people convert to estrogen progesterone testosterone or in a male testosterone estrogen progesterone and in most patients if they're between 25 and 50 it can kind of just give them a little bit of a boost and it should do kind of what it wants to but you'll still get a certain percentage of the population probably about 15 percent of the population that's why we have to test and everything like that when it's above 50 milligrams a day is that it will convert to the other hormone that we don't want so a woman can take it and then convert too much to testosterone and get too much testosterone production, or a man can take it and converts too much to estrogen and then gets estrogen dominance. So it's not as perfect as like we just give to the person that goes magically to where we want. For most people, the body does what it does, but sometimes life is not that easy. And all of a sudden that can be one thing that, you know, triggers that, but it can be useful with someone who's already using a little bit of hormones just to give them a little extra boost rather than taking extra topical or other type of identical hormones. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you. And what letters will we be doing next month? So next month, I believe, is ginger. Wait, we go from C to G without D-E-F? I, I think a fenugreek fennel seed. I forget. I had it on the list. I gave it to you. Uh, okay. Fennel, oh, I, I, I'll look it up. That's yeah, right. You fennel seed, fennel seed, fenugreek. Yeah. Fennel seed, fenugreek seed, garlic and garlic ginger. Oh, those are really popular ginger. ones. The last yep. two, garlic and ginger. Yep. They're very common. Yes. And I'll talk about ginger in detail, all that stuff as well. Nice. Well, great. Thanks so much, Dr. Wonderful. Nice speaking to everybody and go right to the kitchen, go to the store, try to get some fresh curry leaves when you can try to get the seeds of coriander cumin, have a little coconut, but not spoon it out or drink, you know, the coconut cream, but, you know, try to add a little bit of these things, particularly if you're shy about the coconut, fine, use the other three curry leaf, coriander and cumin, and you'll start seeing some health benefits, particularly if you have elevated lipids and blood sugar. You should open up a spice shop. I'm, you know, you're always giving me ideas. So you never know. <laughs> Sunil spices. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Thank you all so right. much, Dr. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Best and of health. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 2 p.m. Pacific time where we actually are going to be having more spices, including a new bacon spice. It's not only vegan, but SOS free as we have Nick and Thomas. Nick is from Local Spicery. Thomas is from California Balsamic. We called the show of vinegar and spice and everything nice. They're going to be making a pineapple sorbet, a chipotle chickpea salad, balsamic glazed tofu skewers, mushroom bourguignon, and polenta. So uh, it sounds like a great show. And then you can ask Nick how often he grinds his spices tomorrow. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.